0: The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find out more, visit bonhams.com. Hello and welcome to the Art Newspaper Podcast. I'm Ben Luke. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're looking at what must be the most hotly anticipated exhibition of the year, Leonardo da Vinci at the Louvre in Paris. A bit later, we'll hear all about the show from one of its curators and we'll look at the Mona Lisa in virtual reality. But first, so much of the expectation around the show has focused on the Salvatore Mundi, the painting that was sold at Christie's in New York in 2017 for $450 million. Would it be in the show? Would the label say it was by Leonardo, or Leonardo and Studio, or by one of his students? Well, we have the answers to some, but not all of these questions. I caught up with Ben Lewis, author of a book about the Salvatore Mundi, called The Last Leonardo, on the stone benches next to I.M. Pace Pyramid in the courtyard of the Louvre to get all the latest news. Ben, we're sitting outside the Louvre by the pyramid with the fountains playing in the background and we now know categorically that the Salvatore Mundi, for the moment, is not in the Leonardo show at the Louvre. What's your reaction to that?
1: Yet (laughs) <laughs> Killer word. Yet. I mean, I might sound quite tentative and confused, but, you know, when I try and answer the questions you're going you're to pose to me because it's a developing story, and um, I don't particularly know what's going on myself. I don't really know what's going on myself very well, but, and everyone's sort of piecing two and two together and making five or six in, in different ways, you know.
0: So it's quite a confusing situation. It is, but, but what we know is that they definitely asked for it. They wanted the Salvatore Mundi in the exhibition, and they seem to have made provision for two forms of catalogue, a a catalogue with the painting and a catalogue without it. They definitely
1: asked for it, and in fact, there is a missing
0: catalogue number in the,
1: Louvre's, in the Louvre's Leonardo exhibition catalogue, you know, number 157. Like 155 and 156 are the, the famous Windsor preparatory drawings for the Salvatore Mundi that everyone's seen illustrated, whatever, online and everywhere. And they're in the exhibition, and they're hanging on either side of the Gannet Salvatore Mundi, which is an extremely good French curatorial gag, you know, because in the London. Uh, Leonardo exhibition in the National Gallery those two drawings were hanging on either side of the Saudi Salvatore Mundi right so that's already a really good sort of poke from a really good poke from Van Santelieu I really like it but anyway, Vincent, Andy, just yeah, to sorry.
0: explain, Vincent de Louvain is, is, the, is the curator of the Leonardo exhibition at the Louvre. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. So short story is, is what ca- in the Louvre's catalogue, 155 and 156 are these um, preparatory red chalk tra- drawings for Salvatore Mundi. And then there is no 157. There is no number 157. I mean, hello. You know, it's so exciting. I mean, and nobody knows what, went, what happened. I mean, nobody knows why. I mean, why would, why, why would the Saudis not agree to put their picture in the Louvre show? Because, like, let's face it, if they put the picture in the show, right, that $450 million picture, the Salvatore Mundi, that's worth a billion the day after it's in the exhibition, right? And, you know, little old, little old people like me, we end up with loads of egg on our face, don't we? <laughs> you know, because we,
0: we're the doubters. Well, you do know. you end up with egg on your face? Because doesn't this all play into the in- enduring mystery around this picture? And surely if the owner really wanted to open up this picture to be properly scrutinized by, by all specialists and frankly the public yeah. then 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 they'd lend it and they they they'd give it to this show to be properly looked at and scrutinized and enjoyed frankly you know
1: yeah my theory which is mine and nobody else's is that um, Vincent de and the louvre's curator tried to have his cake and eat it and he tried to negotiate as diplomatically as possible to get the Salvatore Mundi in the exhibition without actually promising to label it as an autograph Leonardo. And therein lies the problem. The Saudis ultimately probably didn't respond to his request because they were waiting for him to offer more. That's my theory, which is mine and no one else's. It could easily be wrong.
0: <laughs> so let, let, shall we rewind a bit? you published your book, The Last Leonardo. Yeah. And since then, you know, the, the story has evolved. And since, even since you came on the podcast last, the story has evolved. So what, you say the Saudis. Are, are we 100% sure now that, that the uh, picture is owned by the Saudis? More or less 100% sure. And I
1: think we're going to be 100% sure in a couple of days. <laughs> I can't. The trouble is, everyone's got, all, all my friends, you know, all these great art friends, everyone's got their own little secret Leonardo story. And I can't give away other people's secret story. I can only <laughs> tell you mine. I, I think we're going to be pretty sure the Saudis are the real owners in a couple of
0: days. OK. And um, uh, does does that indicate that there might still be a possibility... OK, so it's the press view today, it's the grand opening tomorrow. It's still a possibility that the Salvatore Mundi will arrive in this exhibition even after all the grand ceremony?
1: I think it's definitely a possibility that Salvatore Mundi will show up at the Leonardo exhibition in the next month or so. Yeah, okay. I mean, somehow... I just... I mean, somehow it must, mustn't it? Like you said, I mean, why not? I mean, what, what what's what reason could the owner of the painting have not to put it in? I mean, I can imagine him holding out for ages, thinking, you know, I'm going to wait till they absolutely promise me it's going to be on a wall by itself with a Leonardo da Vinci label and God knows what else. But, you know, there comes a point where, you know, the show opens, his picture's still not there, and somebody's going to whisper in his ear, look... If this picture isn't in the show, nobody's ever going to believe it's autographed Leonardo da Vinci.
0: But doesn't it, I mean, look, let's play devil's advocate for a moment. Uh, could, there, could there be security concerns on the, on the behalf of the owner? You know, they, you know because it's become such a phenomenon, it, it's, an, it's a natural target. It becomes, you know, it, it's, you know it, it, could there be other reasons why they're reluctant to lend? I'm sure they can, you know, drive it, drive
1: it down the Champs-Élysées in, ta- in a tank, can't they, and bring it to the Louvre? I mean, that's not a problem, you know. But I think what is a problem is, um, you know, Vincent de Leeuvin's incredibly well-written but somewhat circumspect catalogue entry for the Salvatore Mundi. And there's like a few bullet points. Van de Leeuvin almost says the Saudi Salvatore is the original, right, because he's looking at the three of them. The Naples one, the Ghanae, and the Saudi. And he said he thinks they were all painted at the same time in the studio, more or less next to each other or or whatever. And then if you compare all three, like, if there is an original or one that Leonardo had much more involvement in, it would have to be the Saudi one. Because, like, look at it, look at that sfumato. It's it's a whole different level of sfumato than the other two, right? But, problemo, elsewhere in that catalogue entry, he says, look, the face is really, really damaged. And that's the ultimate nub of the whole Salvatore problem. It's like, you look at the face and you think that's a sfumato face, that looks like a Leonardo, but actually the face is so damaged that that effect, you know, could come from centuries of damage and bad restoration. And they've just done these scientific tests on the Naples Salvatore Mundi in Rome, you know, and there are tiny traces of beard on it. And if there are tiny traces of beard on that one, then there must have once been a bit of a beard on the Saudi Salvatore. Come on, right? So, if there isn't a beard now... You know, what did the face originally look like? It may have looked nothing like the face that we're looking at now. It might have looked much more like a sort of Jan Petrino face or a Cesare de Sesto face or a Salai face. Who knows? So that's one point. Then the other point in the catalogue entry, right, major point score is Vincent de Lervance thinks the orb is made of glass, right? Sorry, Professor Martin Kemp, not rock crystal. Not the rock crystal you've been going on about for ages and then trying to explain away the fact why it doesn't have major re- refractions and upside-down reflections and all kinds of distortions in the drapery behind. The reason it doesn't have all these distortions, right, is because it's glass. Like the glasses in the last copy of The Last Supper in the Royal Academy. It's a bog-standard glass orb, just like all the, you know, all the ones in the second half of the, uh, of the 15th century from the Netherlands had. Glass orb, you know. That is why the drapery behind is
0: not particularly refracted. Okay. So, the key thing about that catalogue entry is that there is a fudge, right? In the sense that he doesn't come down either side of the debate. He he neither says it is a Leonardo, nor does he say it's Leonardo and workshop, or just workshop. Is that right?
1: That's right. I mean, the picture just doesn't have have an author. It's just sort of Salvatore Mundi (laughs) as an illustration, you know? How tantalising. I got a sneaking suspicion when he was planning to hang it in the Louvre show, he was going to hang it just like that, he was just going to say Salvatore Mundi and not say here it was by.
0: So this book is out, it's been out in the world, and it's been hotly debated by Leonardo scholars. You've come under some attack, haven't you? And Can you, can you sort of sum up some of the debates that, 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 that have emerged from the fact that you, your book is published?
1: Well, most of the criticism has been, oh all that stuff in the press, it's so sensational. Oh, it's a sensational journalist, you know, and we we know where that's coming from, don't we? And to which my response is, what could be more sensational than saying, oh, I discovered a Leonardo da Vinci in a junk shop in New Orleans? (laughs) Surely it's much less sensational to say, hmm, I'm not sure if this is an autograph, Leonardo. Perhaps we should conduct tests and all the the scientific documentation and restoration documentation should be made public. You know, And much of it has now been, been made public. So last week, Diane Modestini, the Restorer, uploaded this fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic website documenting all kinds of aspects of the painting and mostly focused on the restoration. Anyway, so, and, then, and then a lot of the sort of criticism has just been, oh, Ben Lewis, he's just a journalist. You know, um, sneer, sneer. And I think, ultimately, that that's, that's very damning, is that there aren't a lot of facts, you know, to present that there aren't a lot of facts that you can use to build up a convincing case that the Salvatore Mundi, that the Saudi Salvator Mundi is an autographed Leonardo. You know, it might be, but actually there aren't a lot of facts you can use to argue that case very convincingly. And so the tragedy for this painting is that it's been attributed not so
0: much by connoisseurs as by connoisseur's. sneers <laughs> Nonetheless, I get the sense that, despite your scepticism about this picture, you were genuinely looking forward to actually seeing it in the flesh again, weren't you?
1: Yeah, I was very much looking forward to seeing the Salvator Mundi and looking at it closely, you know, because I now know ten times more about Leonardo da Vinci than I did when I saw it previously. So, yeah, it's a sh- you know, it's a shame it's not in the exhibition. You know, whatever, the, whatever it is, it's a really important picture. It's a really amazing find. It's an incredible achievement by Robert Simon and Alex Parrish, you know, to find this picture. It's an incredible achievement by Di- Diane Modestini to restore it, whatever you think of the Restoration. And it's a great contribution to art history.
0: Ben, thank you so much. Thank you very much. The Last Leonardo by Ben Lewis is published by William Collins at £20 in the UK and by Ballantine Books in the US and Canada, priced $28. Now, what about the show itself? Well, it's extraordinary, featuring more than 160 paintings, drawings, sketchbooks, manuscripts and sculptures by Leonardo, his forebears and his followers. It also includes new scientific analysis with infrared reflectography of every single one of Leonardo's autographed paintings. I went to the press view at the Louvre earlier this week and, as you can imagine, it was the busiest such event I've ever been to. But we managed to steal away Vincent de Louvain, one of the two curators of the exhibition, with Louis Franck, into a quiet room behind the exhibition to find out more about this momentous show. Vincent, to begin with, you very rarely get the chance to curate an exhibition of Leonardo da Vinci's work. So can you tell me the strategy behind this one and what, in a way what you want to say with this very important moment?
2: Well, strategy, I don't know if it, if it is a good uh, word for that. It's more uh, that exhibition, in the conclusion of a long work on Leonardo da Vinci started when I arrived uh, uh, in the Louvre in 2006. Uh, I started uh, uh, because we had to restore some uh, paintings by Leonardo da Vinci, the Saint Anne, and then the Belle Ferroniere, the Saint John the Baptist. And uh, working on Leonardo da Vinci with my colleague Louis Franck, we discovered that uh, uh, we... Uh, A lot of it has been written, said, and um, we wanted to, um, uh, for that great anniversary of Leonardo death in France, wanted to celebrate uh, this with um, uh, a new, kind of a new vision on Leonardo da Vinci, because we wanted to reaffirm that the importance of painting, of the art of painting for Leonardo da Vinci.
0: Tell me about that. Is is, is that based on the idea that that he's he's become such a polymath in people's minds that, in a way, his painting has been more sidelined than you think it should be?
2: Exactly. Well, usually we present Leonardo da Vinci uh, as a painter, but not only, you know, like a scientist, an architect, engineer. And so it gives the idea that the impression that uh, uh, painting was only one of uh, Leonardo's interests and, and maybe not the most important. There is also something else. Uh, often it is said that Leonardo, uh, for him it was more important to invent uh, a composition more than paint it. Uh, and what we discovered thanks to uh, the restoration we did and also thanks to the scientific investigation which were done on uh, all the paintings by Leonardo da Vinci that, for Leonardo da Vinci, the most important thing was painting, the act of painting. And uh, on the Saint Anne, on the Saint John the Baptist, on the Mona Lisa, and many others, Leonardo spent more time uh, painting the work than thinking, creating the composition. And that was, that was one uh, of uh, the, the aim of the exhibition we wanted to, to focus on.
0: So tell me about that. So uh, these infrared images, they're, they're marvellous. They, they're dotted throughout the show, as you say, of all the paintings. Mm-hmm. And what one sees is and a tremendous freedom and fluidity in his language. Can you tell me more about that?
2: Sure. It was really very important for us uh, to show these uh, infrared reflectography because uh, we, our work is based on uh, that new approach, a more objective approach. And uh, these scientific images gave us a lot of information. You know, Leonardo da Vinci painted only a few paintings, but he wanted to make only perfect paintings, and he took a long time to paint them. And so each work is an experience, a long experience, and thanks to these uh, scientific images, we are able to understand uh, in a good way uh, how and why Leonardo decided to perfect, to change, uh, not only the form of the composition but also the meaning of the composition and thanks to all that scientific investigation for each composition we are able to uh, uh, propose new uh, hypotheses uh, uh, on uh, on the composition and also we are able to understand in a better way the personality of the uh, artist so these uh, infrared reflectography uh, are shown uh, in the exhibition and it's a way to for the public to see all the paintings of Leonardo da Vinci some can't travel for example the Adoration of the Magi we never ask for that painting because it's too fragile too big but seeing the, uh, the infrared uh, image uh, helps the public to understand the freer manner uh, of painting of Leonardo da Vinci at the end of the 70s beginning of the 80s Leonardo starts to paint in a new way and when you when the public uh, is able to see uh, that he drawn um, directly uh, with uh, the what we call the carboncino uh, uh, black chalk and with uh, his uh, pencil with his um, brush uh, directly uh, on the on the wood panel and we see him uh, uh, changing modifying uh, uh, in some parts four times a, a figure. It's Im- it's incredible and it's impressive and it's a way to show that. Um, uh, free manner to paint, but it also something another thing interesting with that um, uh, these images. It's a link between drawing and painting. So the adoration of the Magi, which we, we we present the infrared reflectography, and near that we see several of his uh, preparatory drawings, and we understand how he reused these drawings uh, in the painting. You can't see that uh, when you see the painting in a direct light, but thanks to the infrared reflectography, you can see the first steps, the the underdrawing. drawing, you can see many changes, and you have also an understanding of his uh, pictorial technique.
0: One of the things I, I really loved about the show was the way that you conjure the man and the journey of the man, because... Sometimes exhibitions can feel like a lecture in three dimensions. This doesn't feel like that. You feel like Leonardo's journey is happening in front of you. And you begin with this really marvellous sculpture by Verrocchio. And then around it, these studies of drapery. And you feel like you're in a life drawing class.
2: (laughs) Exactly. There is the model at the centre of the room, which is that wonderful, one of the masterpieces of uh the Renaissance culture, uh, the, the incredulity of Saint Thomas of Verrocchio. Uh, near that, uh, around it, you see all the uh, uh, <laughs> not the pupils, but all the uh, the preparatory drawings, paintings, we should say, of Leonardo. That these wonderful uh, study of drapery on linen, which are the first uh, exercise of Leonardo to uh, uh, understand, in which he he tried to understand light and shadow.
0: So. Then you take us on that chronology and you take us through his life and, and the different phases of his, uh, of his work and how place hugely affected the way he would work. There's a shift when he arrives in Milan. There's another when he comes back to Florence, for instance. You show the, the deep connection between place and, and the person.
2: Well, in fact we I, I have been a um, teacher for three years uh, at the Ecole du Louvre uh, on Leonardo da Vinci, and I uh, made these um, courses we can say yeah. um, uh, with uh, these uh, that vision that, that traditional vision of Leonardo, Leonardo in Florence Leonardo in Milan, and then come back in Florence Rome, Milan Rome, and France. But what we propose uh, in the exhibition is slightly different because in fact, to my opinion but it 's not only my opinion it 's uh, the, the study of uh, Leonardo da Vinci's drawings and paintings, for example, the last works done in Florence in, uh, in 80, 81, 82, and the first works done in Milan in the 80s are really similar. The vision of the rocks is exactly our vision of the rocks in Paris, exactly the same kind of technique of the adoration of the Magi. So the real um, changes in Leonardo's life are slightly different. You know, his movement in Italy doesn't correspond to his real changes of his uh, manner of his style so we propose to the public uh, a slightly different vision we the first uh, um, uh, change in leonardo's life is uh, in florence at the end of the 70s in 78 leonardo has a project to uh, paint two madonnas and with that project we know several preparatory drawings which show a new way of drawing and in the same period, it's the adoration of, of the Magi, a new way of painting also in a free rare, freer uh, manner. So to our opinion with louis Franck, this is the first, uh, um, the first such chapter was in the Verrocchio's workshop. Second chapter, we call it Liberty. And this is uh, the beginning is in Florence at the end of the 70s. The third chapter uh, is in Milan uh, in the second half of the 1480s. Uh, Leonardo um, uh, needs to understand in a more precise way nature. Uh, uh, and he uh, starts that uh, scientific investigation on all the fields on all the nature geometry mathematics optics uh, anatomy everything because he wants to understand absolutely uh, everything and so uh, this is another uh, important moment in Leonardo's uh, life and then to my opinion the, the the last chapter we proposed in this exhibition we called it life because Leonardo was the first to not only uh, reproduce uh, the external form of life, but also uh, the internal uh, form of uh, life—what uh, uh, people had in mind—but also all the the real life of uh, of uh, of nature. And this uh, takes take place in Milan, also uh, at the me- about the middle of the nineties, with the Last Supper, which is really the Last Supper, um, the real maturity of uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And then after that, uh, the Saint Anne, Saint John the Baptist, the Battle of Hungary is all the same uh, period so you see it's not our uh, the division we propose of Leonardo's own development is not linked with his uh, movement in Italy but more uh, on what we see in his drawings and paintings
0: now um, one of the uh, aspects of the show which is really interesting is the way that you look into the followers in great depth and Traffio, for instance there's a range of works by him where he really rises as, a, as an artist. It, it, it was important to you to, to show the workshop around, uh, around Leonardo and, and, and his followers and what, and what they were capable of.
2: Sure, because for several purposes, for some, sometimes for attribution, because, for example, the musician in the Ambrosiana is considered by some scholars to be not by Leonardo, but by scholars. So it's also a way to show uh, that Leonardo was a great master with a real workshop with good painters around him uh, and how they paint. It, you know, it's still a great debate debate between uh, uh, the followers of Leonardo da Vinci in Milan at the beginning of the 90s. We know that Marco D'Ogiono, Boltrafio, were in his studio. The young Salai arrives at that time. Uh, and still today, uh, scholars do not agree about the, all the attribution. In the exhibition, we follow uh, uh, some scholars like uh, Ballarine, uh, for example, uh, who uh, has a I think good ideas about uh, the identity of some of his uh, pupils. And in fact, the most, uh, 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 the best uh, scholar, uh, the best pupil seems to be Boltrafio. And you see in the, in the exhibition, for example, a wonderful portrait of a young man uh, from uh, the Musee Pushkin, Pushkin Museum uh, in Moscow. And uh, uh, he is clearly, he was clearly the best uh, pupil of Leonardo da Vinci. But you see, this was. Uh, um, Uh, the the way the workshop uh, was working in Milan in the 90s but for example when Leonardo uh, moved to Florence and then Milan etc uh, his workshop changed a little bit other kind of artists were uh, around him people like Salai and Melzi and at that time they were uh, mostly making copies very um, more precise copy of his uh, uh, paintings and we are in front of of uh, personality uh, of less invention than Marco d'Oggiono and and, and Boltraffio so it's interesting also to show the evolution of Leonardo da Vinci's workshop
0: inevitably when we talk about the workshop there's been a lot of debate about the Salvatore Mundi and unfortunately it's not here so you can't now put it alongside other works by Leonardo and and the workshop and and we can't study it, the public can't see it but you did intend to bring it to Paris, didn't you?
2: Sure, yes, we asked for the painting in 2015 so when the painting was still uh, uh, the property of the former uh, owner uh, and we uh, still wanted the painting after its uh, famous sale in 2017 uh, the answer has not been uh, definitively uh, uh, given, so uh, it, it remains uh, open. But it will—the exhibition will open uh, uh, in a few uh, days without uh, the, the, the painting. Uh, it would have been a good opportunity to see it uh, in the context of all the exhibition near the preparatory drawings of uh, in Windsor. But that's life. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Salvator Mundi is. Uh, uh, an expensive painting sure but clearly that composition leonardo invented probably at the beginning of the 16th century in, in florence is uh, clearly not the most representative of leonardo da vinci's art uh, what is leonardo da vinci is the saint john the Baptist. everything is movement expression uh, with the salvator mundi it seems that leonardo remained quite uh, uh, classical he uh, uh, reproduce uh, the traditional uh, image of Jesus Christ as a Salvator Mundi with no expression and hieratical uh, 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 position. So if you want to understand Leonardo, uh, you should look at the Mona Lisa, you should look at the Saint Anne and the Saint John the Baptist. Uh, it was a commission and in that commission Leonardo uh, strangely uh, did not invent a, uh, a new uh, uh, iconography. Um,
0: I want to know about your personal feelings when you put on a show. You say 13 years you've been working on this exhibition. It's it's a, a crowning achievement, I'm sure, of, of your work. But I want to know about how you feel personally when you're in those spaces, putting those works on the wall. It must be almost unreal to actually see it developing into a, a physical, real thing
2: sure and you know it's always a moment of truth also because you uh, you are thinking about uh, groupings or gathering uh, some specific uh, drawings with some paintings or, or sculpture and uh, uh, when you see them uh, in your computer it looks uh, great and and you think that it will uh, will uh, give life to an idea but it's only when uh, you put in style the works that uh, you see if it really uh, works and uh, I think one of the greatest moments of uh, the installation of the exhibition was when we we started to uh, uh, put on the wall the the drapion linen uh, on that first room, and the day we put the uh, the great uh, group of sculpture, we were absolutely. It was a, a, a one of the greatest emotion I ever had, and what was incredible at that moment it was not our feelings but more. The, the, guard, the guards of the exhibition they told us oh but that's incredible what we see in the sculpture exactly exactly what we saw on the and draperies but it's incredible why is that it is like is that exact? so people without any great knowledge on Leonardo da Vinci they immediately saw the relationship between the group and the paintings by Leonardo da Vinci
0: well Vincent thank you so much for talking to
2: us it was a pleasure
0: We'll be back talking about the Mona Lisa in virtual reality after this. In the pantheon of Japanese lacquer artists, the 19th century master Shabita Zeshin ranks amongst the greatest. His career mirrors the seismic changes that swept Japan with the introduction of constitutional monarchy in the late 1860s. After centuries of looking inwards, Japan was suddenly forced to engage with the outside world. Zeshin eagerly embraced techniques of Western art, marrying them with traditional subjects and styles. He was rewarded with commissions from political leaders who recognised the soft power potential of Japanese arts and crafts on the global stage. His work was widely seen and admired at international exhibitions, and he became a revered name throughout Japan. One of the finest collections of Zeshin's work in private hands, including the exquisite lacquer panel farmhouse in the snow at Sano, is offered this November at Bonhams as part of its sale of masterpieces of Japanese art from a royal collection. As Bonhams Director of Japanese Art Susanna Yip says, it's unprecedented to find so many works by Shibata Zeshin in one auction. This outstanding collection brilliantly illustrates not only the diverse talent of the artist, but also the sharp eye of a distinguished collector. To find out more, visit bonhams.com. Welcome back. Now, the Mona Lisa is the only one of the five Leonardo paintings owned by the Louvre that is not in the show. It has to be kept on view for visitors who aren't visiting the exhibition. But right next to the show, the Louvre has created its first ever virtual reality experience, all about its most famous masterpiece. Produced in partnership with HTC Vive Arts, Mona Lisa, Beyond the Glass, takes us into the painting and the world of Leonardo and Lisa Gerardini, the woman who is the subject of the painting. I spoke to Dominique de font Director of the Interpretation and Cultural Programming Department at the Louvre, about the experience. And note that when she mentions La Seine, she's talking about The Last Supper, Leonardo's great wall painting in Milan. Dominique, the Mona Lisa could never be in the exhibition of Leonardo da Vinci, so you had to do something on the Mona Lisa. I presume that was what inspired you to do the virtual reality piece.
3: Not exactly, if I may say so. Uh, um, of course, the Mona Lisa could not be within the exhibition for, for, for many reasons. And But uh, at the very first move, when we were proposed by HTC to do an experience uh, on the uh, VR, on the virtual reality, we had first in mind La Seine from Milano. Because we, uh, we have thought of a painting which obviously could not because it's on the wall itself and well it's quite good to go. And at the so we, we have spent some weeks, I don't remember exactly how many times, but how much time, but it, it doesn't matter. We have spent some some weeks thinking of going into lesson. And uh, we at the time we have realized, realized that it's for to do the VR, you need to get a lot of information. in fact, the VR is not a gadget at all. It's not only a tool or a technological tool or whatever. It's also something that uh, gives you the possibility of uh, exploring uh, works of art. So we, we observed that we, we would need many, many information. That we couldn't get on La Seine for different reasons. So we said, okay, there is one work, on which we had many, many, many things, and with many different examination, researches, and whatever, it's Mona Lisa. So we said, okay, great idea, do it on Mona Lisa. And then, of course, it happens that it couldn't be within the exhibition, it would be great to go further. But the first reason that we wanted to be both as uh, precise in terms of new de- technological device as possible. But we want it also to be as good and as precise in terms of scientific issues. And on Mona Lisa, we have many things.
0: And I suppose... One of the things about the Mona Lisa is that there's a constant process of research going on and there was a lot to actually tell people about.
3: Yeah, exactly. A lot of uh, a lot to tell people about, of course, and also something that... Um, it's very interesting because it's an icon. It's something that, you know, above even any masterwork in the world. It's more than a masterwork, if I may say so. It's a, something, you know, it's a masterwork, of course, obviously, but uh, it's also... Something more or something else. I don't know exactly to say that. And um, then we had the possibility of exploring new devices also on Mona Lisa. And also to uh, then, thanks to the VR, to uh, address many, many different issues. And not only the issues regarding um, the painting itself, how it was done, or how it was decided to be to be done or, or so on, of course, which is very important, but also uh, to explore why is it so important, what is going on, what is uh, behind the curtain, if I may say so.
0: That's right, isn't it? Because because all sorts of in, in all sorts of ways you you go behind mm-hmm. the image. what well, apart from everything else, you expand the image. Yes, we, exactly, see, we, exactly. see the, we see we see that we see the Mona Lisa mm-hmm. as, a, mm-hmm. as a as a full figure, and you yes. see her loggia. You see mm-hmm. her in the loggia, and some, mm-hmm. so you expand the landscape. Exactly. As well. mm-hmm. So, I, I suppose you're you're making uh, it a painting in the round
3: mm-hmm. more. It's something very interesting because at the very at the very first time when we were working on that. Um, I had in mind that it was a very, of course, interesting technology and uh, quite a smart technology and able to um, to uh, design new things, new technological things. But I haven't in mind at that time that it could also be something more. That it also could be a, a way of exploring the, the 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 painting and also exploring the. Um, the, the creation and the creation gesture uh, itself, and uh, that's what happened, in fact, because um, uh, of course, Mona Lisa uh, is an icon, but it's a painting, and um, she it, I don't know if I say she the, the woman or it the painting I don't know exactly how to say, but uh, whatever, um, it is it could be seen only from uh, from the face. You you don't know exactly what is is uh, going on from behind, or from the left, or from the right, or, or, or above, or beneath, or whatever. You have no idea of that. It's uh, two volumes. And the VR is three-dimensional, three, three, three of course. So um, very quickly, we um, realized that we had to face uh, different uh, different questions, different issues, and uh, being able to, to tell what how how was she, for instance, the, the woman, how was she dressed uh, behind? Uh, at, how were their hair, for instance? What was uh, the the material of their of their dress or their dress? Or I don't know um, what could have been the exact uh, color or fits of the seat or whatever. And uh, it was, of course, very interesting questions. It was crucial questions for the VR because we had to answer them because outside of that it would be it would have been impossible to, uh, to to do the VR so we had to answer that question it was very important it was an obligation as such but still we couldn't answer them without precise uh, and uh, precise information and without uh, we, are, we are the loop so we need to be as close as possible of something that is maybe not the truth but as um, as Close to, as close to the truth as possible. And then, uh, and it was very interesting to work with uh, Vincent de Lieuvin and Louis Franck, the two curators of the um, exhibition, to, uh, answer all these different questions. And we have been discussing a lot about, um, the air of the, of Mona Lisa, uh, about the material of the dress, about uh, the way the loggia is, uh, was designed, about uh, also the the, the the seat where she's seated and many, many things like that. And it was very interesting because doing so, we have been close to two things and two things that are far more than only uh, technological devices or technological gadgets. One is, as I said before, trying to, um, to be inside uh, the mind of the creation, you know, when we decide to, to, to paint someone, when someone is posing for you as an artist, you have to decide the pose, you have to decide uh, the gesture, you have to decide uh, the light, you have to decide. And then doing the VR, we have been obliged to, to, to enter that process, of course. So it's very interesting because it's a, it's a creative process. And more than that, and maybe because I'm a 19th, uh, 19th century art historian, but maybe because of that, something that, I was very much interested in two who have been doing the same things that were that were used by uh, the academic painters in the nineteenth century how to be as close as possible to reality without having the proof of this reality, I hope being uh, in fact um, uh, accurate and also consistent with uh, the reality without uh, being sure of what was in mind. And it's very interesting because such uh, academic painters, like for instance uh, Jean Leon Jérôme or Alexandre Cabanel, uh, who uh, use some type of devices for their paintings and using, for instance, archaeological devices for their painting. Uh, they were very important for the history of painting, but they were also crucial for the history of cinema, of movie. And uh, in a way, the VR is also related to all the um, principles of illusion and illusions in English with reality. So it's also an uh, art history device and also a scientific device in a way.
0: Putting yourself in the place of the artist, mm. as you say, it was then a natural extension that that somehow Leonardo should narrate what Mm. we're watching. And I I think that that's quite a powerful gesture because it could be easy to get carried away with her, with Mm -hmm. the Mona Lisa, Mm -hmm. but we're never allowed to forget that what we're seeing is actually a figure in the eyes Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. artist, Mm right?
3: Exactly, exactly. It was very interesting because then I think, I I hope that um, the VR will help people in understanding that... uh, Artistic creation is a very subjective move. is something that is not uh, reality as such, but it's representation of the reality. Over over in English, not in French, but real soul also of the reality. And I think it's very interesting. It's a it's an issue and of this idea of representing and representing as such, which is not the immediate copy of the royal, but which is, of course, an interpretation of the royal. And if people, uh, thanks to the VR, maybe helped in uh, understanding that, I think it's very important for them to understand what art is about, which is, of course, not uh, copying and uh, representing exactly what is uh, uh, in the royal, but which is the artist's interpretation. And uh, the museum, as such, is not about proof but it's about something that it's about fiction. It's about fictional stories. And I think that the VR will help people in understanding that. And I think it's very important for us.
0: There's, there's all sorts of speculation about what artists of the Renaissance period would mm. make of the 21st century <laughs> and what they would be doing today. <laughs> but the way the way the... VR experience mm-hmm. ends, it seems to me mm-hmm. we can categorically say that Leonardo would love this because we have the chance to fly in his flying machine. Tell yeah,
3: yeah. I don't want to spoil exactly the experience because I hope that many people will be able to do it and but the end is quite something, I mean and uh with the flying machine and of course it's always quite difficult to say what would have Leonardo done today because of course we don't know, it's impossible to, to guess. But uh I imagine that we uh, have the fact that uh, the technology of today uh, give us the possibility of expanding as well uh, what it was into and the idea of exploring the uh, all the different um, secrets of uh, of, of uh, the reality and uh, and of biology and of uh, movement would have pleased him certainly. I think that uh, in a way we are not that far of what he was trying to do and within the exhibition we have um, the great advantage of being able to present uh, drawings of um, of leonardo from the royal collection of the royal, of the british royal collection so thanks to, to uh, our british colleagues and also uh, the the small uh, albums from uh, l'institut france in paris and both are showing how much he was into um, any kind of exploration of uh, of the life both uh, in terms of physics in terms of biology uh, in terms of botanics and certainly a new technology like the VR would have certainly interested him I'm pretty sure of that it's quite difficult to say of course but uh, I hope to
0: Dominique thank you so much
3: yeah thank you too Bye.
0: You can experience Mona Lisa behind the glass at the Louvre until the 24th of February 2020 and it's also available as a home version on HTC's digital subscription service Viveport alongside other online VR platforms. The exhibition Leonardo da Vinci is also at the Louvre until the 24th of February 2020. You can read all the latest news including details of where the Salvatore Mundi would have been displayed in the show on our website at theartnewspaper.com or on our app for iOS which you can find in the App Store. The December print edition of The Art Newspaper, which is out at the end of November, will include a review of the show and all the Leonardo Anniversary books. You can subscribe to The Art Newspaper at theartnewspaper.com where you can find a subscription to suit you so that you can read our reporting across multiple platforms. While there, you can also subscribe for free to our daily newsletter for all the latest stories. Click the newsletter link at the top right of our homepage. And do check out our new monthly newsletter called Market Eye with comment and analysis every month from our market experts in London and New York. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and if you've enjoyed it, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. The Art Newspaper Podcast is produced by Julia Michauska, Amy Dawson and David Clack and David also does the editing. Thanks to Ben, to Vincent and to Dominique and thank you for listening. Join us next week when we'll be looking at the Pre-Raphaelite Sisters at the National Portrait Gallery. Bye for now. The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find
2: out more, visit bonhams.com now.